0: Hello and welcome back to the Co-op News Punch podcast. This is episode 25. This is going to be the last episode of 2020. It's Liam here and I'm joined by my friend Samzai. How's it going? It's going
1: quite well. Quite well indeed.
0: Good. We've had since the last episode, which was quite a while ago, because we space it out so we can build up some things to have a chat and a rant about. Last time, one of the hot topics was how... GitHub had taken down YouTube DL.
1: Yeah, this one this one was... We, we had a lot of fun uh, kind of ragging GitHub about this, the DMCA system, the RIAA, uh, all of that stuff. And um, yeah, they, they brought it back then. Basically, I think it was like the day after the podcast was published or something.
0: Yeah, it was... One of those moments where it's just like, "Huh, we've ranted about it, and now they brought it back it was it was yeah, so that...
1: weird, the timing, yeah, it just goes to show that if like something's wrong, just complain about it loudly and it just like solves itself, I think, but basically, what this <laughs> means is that you guys you guys owe us because it's clearly us that caused this. we have power over <laughs> github, we have power we wield our power over Microsoft, and we've made this happen.
0: Yeah, totally. Not
1: anybody else. Not anybody else. So it was
0: the the CEO of GitHub, uh, Nat Friedman. So he posted on Twitter that they were taking a stand for developers, and they've reinstated the YouTube DL repo. And Friedman is saying that Section one two oh one of the DMCA is broken and needs to be fixed. So developers should have the freedom to tinker, and that's how you get great tools like YouTube DL.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, th- th- it, it's actually very good that they decided to go against the, uh, the Section uh, 1201, um, and it's a, it's a pretty decent stance, all things considered. I mean, it's pretty central to their business that developers be able to tinker with stuff, and um, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of overall a good thing. But
0: it wasn't just that. They're also setting up a fund where they're going to help fight developers against these takedown claims, which is actually pretty amazing when you think about it, because they don't have to do anything even close to that, really.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, ultimately I see it as a, a thing that they are like, they, they have their own motivations to do it. So I don't think they're being entirely altruistic about it. But I mean, in this case, their intentions, their business motives and our uh, hopes and dreams are kind of coinciding. So it's a good thing.
0: Well, yeah, it's obviously, it's their business model. They're protecting their business model through the marketing of, we're going to try and protect you from false
1: takedown. Yeah. But but it is it is ultimately a good thing that this, like they're they're going to... Uh, try and do something about this. I don't know if this is really, if this has really become a widespread issue yet. But um, I mean, it's good to kind of, you know, hedge your bets ahead of like future trouble, so to speak.
0: Yeah. And YouTube DL, as we said in the previous podcast episode, has many, many legitimate uses. The name YouTube DL is just a name. It can download videos from basically anywhere. And downloading videos is not a copyright violation. There are millions of videos and clips out there that are either copyright free or under creative commons. It's a great tool. Yeah. And you shouldn't go yeah. after the tool. You should go after the reasons people do it.
1: More or less, yes. Um, yeah. I think and, that's kind uh, of what we came to last time. Pretty much, yeah. So that was a good one. Indeed it was. It was a very good one. It's uh I was worried that the that GitHub might actually kind of be a little bit on the... Like, they might lean on the DMCA side of things a little bit, but it seems like they're putting up at least some kind of a fight, so that's good. That's good news for
0: open source. Yep. In related news for open source, Facebook, of all people, people, companies, whatever, have mm-hmm. started funding more open source projects. Now, when people think about Facebook, they think evil and Fair enough. I mean, I can't really argue with that. Facebook have proven themselves to be pretty terrible time and time again, but Mm -hmm. they have always done a lot of open source work anyway in the background. But they're now coming up to fund Blender.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, I mean, Facebook isn't obviously the first one of these like big corporations that are coming in, you know, to support Blender. I think that was also a topic that we just like kind of discussed. I don't remember if it was last time or the, the podcast before but there was another company i think at that point you know putting funding towards uh, blender and it makes sense because blender is kind of you know i don't know enough about the industry to say about say say that it's like an industry standard tool but at least it's a very widespread tool and uh, no doubt people you know in inside facebook also benefit from this tool so then putting some funding towards it obviously is a uh, thing that ultimately serves their own. Purposes once again, but uh, you know we get so we, we get to reap some benefits along the way.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they're as a corporate patron as well, so they're giving over quite a bit of money there. Mm. But it's obviously self-serving because yeah, I mean
1: ultimately, like all of this, every every time people like or companies like Facebook put money towards something, it's either to uh, use it as a tax write-off or to you know to, you know support a tool or Something that uh, helps them make money down the line. But um, yeah, like I said, um, it's pretty much like kind of good for us because usually things kind of come out of these funding things that, you know, make the tool better for everybody. So it's not really the, like a bad thing per se, as long as like Facebook doesn't gain too much control over, say, Blender.
0: Yeah, which they can't really because Blender is open source and that's kind of what protects it from hostile takeovers that it just it doesn't really
1: happen yeah i mean to to an extent that is true definitely like if facebook started doing something funky with blender uh people could always fork it. yeah but i mean there there is like on some level even with open source projects there is a um a kind of like a it's not really a huge threat but a, a slight threat of like some corporation trying to like move it in a particular direction and you know there is a a significant amount of like kind of it's a big step to like actually fork something like this and get enough people on board with your fork to actually make that a you know a viable thing but you know it, it doesn't like what i read from this it didn't look too much like facebook was suddenly you know taking control of everything so it seems like it's just largely money going towards blender to make blender better under you know their own leadership so i don't really have much to complain about there
0: yeah that's fine um because facebook are also now funding godot engine as well the free and open source game engine and again it is a very self-serving reason they're doing it the same reason in fact that they're funding blender because they own oculus which is now just facebook reality labs So they want to extend these open source projects to help build up VR as a platform, basically, with OpenXR. Mm. Every time this comes up, though, people get worried about Facebook, which is why I wanted to mention that part just a moment ago. Because when companies deposit this money into these projects, it is very different than taking it over. Because actually taking it over, it by itself... Is a very, very demanding thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it would definitely take a lot more than just like throwing money at projects. It it is worth you know keeping in mind that even though they might not be like directly taking something over, the fact that they're giving them money kind of incentivizes them to kind of act like uh, according to the, the 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 sort of ideas and plans of these corporate entities. So there's a little bit of like soft, um, as kind of a soft force being enacted on this, uh, project through that. But, um, yeah, I mean, in this case, all of this kind of seems like they just want to improve tooling so that, uh, devs can, you know, make products that Facebook can then, you know, sell through their VR department kind of. So. In that sense, I don't think there's really much of a threat unless they start pushing for things that kind of provide some kind of Facebook-exclusive functionality and things like that. That 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 is not something I would wish, wish for these uh, these tools to have. But yeah, I mean, if it's just making you know, these tools better so that other developers can take advantage of them and bring games to VR so that Facebook can sell more VR headsets, then it's... Uh, I mean it's a it's a it's a bit of a deal with the devil in a sense because I mean it's Facebook and Facebook is kind of a devil um but I mean I don't know to how to what degree we can really fault Godot or uh Blender for you know getting a little bit of money to help them you know develop their software even yeah. if it like comes from Facebook
0: It's Godot, isn't it we had this chat on a previous episode cuz I I always get pronunciations of things wrong and i'm gonna do it again in a minute the lead developer of godot engine i'm gonna murder his name now completely is it Juan linietsky is that who said i don't know Uh, i don't know he's gonna hate me for that but um he does make a really really good point up on twitter about can this company come along and basically buy out projects like godot engine and blender and so on One of the points made was brilliant about how it's made by thousands of skilled contributors. This is their own words, who donate their free time and a bunch paid from donations as well. Even Mm. if someone suddenly decided to push new versions as proprietary, they would never be able to compete or be as productive as the rest. It's just not sustainable. And that is yeah. a good point, because you can't just come along, buy up an already massive open source project that has thousands of worldwide contributors and it just expect it to go somewhere. It would be a Herculean undertaking.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't like I don't even think or entertain the, 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 the kind of a threat scenario where Facebook would buy something like Godot engine just to make it like closed source. I don't think that's in Facebook's interests. The biggest thing that I would worry about is if Facebook wants to push them towards making like functionality or features that only benefit say like uh uh games that target like an Oculus device or you know something that is Facebook specific because that's stuff that like non-Facebook targeting games wouldn't be able to take advantage of etc. Yeah. But I don't think for a second that they would like try to close the whole thing up to sell it as a product later on. I don't think that would fly at all.
0: No, exactly. And the good thing about Facebook funding Godot Engine is that the work is going into OpenXR, which is the open implementation of virtual reality and augmented reality from the Kronos group. So that's going to improve it in Godot Engine for both desktop and mobile, which means all platforms are going to benefit from this because now Godot will be able to hire a developer full time, who's going to be starting in February twenty twenty one to work on all this. So everybody wins from that funding.
1: Yeah. I mean this is one of those cases like if they stick to these ideas that they have like kind of proposed here, it seems like it is just going to benefit all VR headset manufacturers, all you know, gamers that might want to buy something that is a VR title. But regardless of what headset they happen to be using, and all developers regardless of what, you know, platforms they're targeting, what they're developing on, etc.
0: Exactly. So, on to the next big company.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're we're really just kind of... No, we're bringing all of them together here today. We have Microsoft in the form of GitHub, we've got Facebook in the form of like funding for Blender and Godot, and now we have our friend Google.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Google, you're not escaping from us today because (laughs) so many things now that I rely on and that everyone else relies on relies on Google Mm -hmm. from your music to the document. I am staring at right now with a couple notes, everything. Google completely died recently and it took out so much of the internet. It was crazy. So you had your whole G doc suite. So Google documents, Mm -hmm. YouTube was gone. So that's YouTube music, everything. It was just gone. So it's like Oh, I'll just listen to some music. Oh, okay. I, I guess I could do some work on Google.
1: To oh, okay. Uh, oh, play a game on Stadia. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And it went a little bit further too. Like this is like we're talking about a, I think like a historic scale crash of Google. Like I think like pretty much all of Google except the search was down for like an hour.
0: Almost unheard of, I think, for Google to go down that badly
1: yeah it was it was quite quite something i had a lot of fun like going on twitter uh and just like looking at the latest posts about like google being down a lot of people (laughs) uh who were like supposed to be working or studying like there were these tweet like like threads upon threads of tweets from people that were like supposed to do like you know people it's 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 COVID time so people are you know studying from home which means that they need to use their google whatever google classroom and google meet and whatever other things to you know organize teaching and you know all of that stuff and yeah a lot of people couldn't write essays a lot of people couldn't listen to lectures or uh, listen to you know uh, their teachers or work with their you know, study groups or just work in general. A lot of people apparently had their basically entire like companies just shut down for a, like a, an hour because nothing could be done. And uh, the interesting thing is that I find particularly interesting here is that it wasn't just Google that crashed. Uh, it was also the Google Cloud whatever thing. I don't remember exactly what it's... Is it the Google Cloud engine? I think that's the yeah, thing. Yeah, that's it. That that had trouble too which meant that Discord went down. I think a bunch of other services, including a lot of IoT devices, went down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some people couldn't turn off their lights in their homes, and it was midnight. (laughs) Uh, Some people had their thermostats not function. So it kind of goes to show that, like, our world is pretty significantly tied to a single commercial entity that can just kind of crash for whatever reason yeah it's
0: all about again it's having backups redundancies and not relying on a single service we'll say all this but after this show it's it's not going to change i'm still going to use google documents and so on but it's it really is an awakening that you do need a couple backups there because i couldn't Mm. do any work during this time either because i have my whole to-do list and everything is on Google Docs. So I was just sat there like, oh, what do I do now? I had to go and install a freaking normal music player onto my desktop to play some of the old classic music I still had stored on my computer.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was relatively unaffected by this. Like, naturally, I have a couple of uh, Gmail accounts and I couldn't access those. But I, like, switched my main email to postio.de like last year. So I was still able to read my email. I had most of my, most of my like uh, university documents are like written either in like regular text files or they are accessible. Some, some stuff is accept- accessible through office 365, but I really hate to use it. So most of my stuff is just, you know, regular LibreOffice documents. Uh, so I was able to study just fine. Um, Without uh having to rely on anything that used Google, so I was pretty much unaffected, so I just spent an hour kind of just passively scrolling Twitter instead. so it's not like I got anything like productive done because I was spending all of that time laughing at all of the people that could get nothing done because all of their stuff is on you know Google, <laughs> so I guess. In a sense, this Google crash also affected my productivity because I spent <laughs> an hour doing nothing because it was so hilarious that nobody could get anything done. But technically, like uh, because all of, all of my stuff is largely, I I still have some stuff that is relatively centralized. But I have tried to kind of move to decentralize my my computing such that I'm not nearly as reliant on something sim- like simple as Google. But uh yeah, I could have I, I could have personally done like all of my studying work, whatever, just fine without uh having to rely on anything Google related.
0: So yeah, um if you are listening and you have everything like me on Google, maybe you have some backups, it might be an idea. Mm. On to a bit of actual gaming news now. War Thunder. Let's talk about War Thunder. I like War yeah. Thunder. I like War Thunder a lot.
1: Yeah, you've gotten a bit of an addiction for it ever since I, uh, ever since we recently started playing it together again. I don't know what you're on
0: about. I have not put tens of hours in the last week. (laughs) Definitely not me. So, War Thunder came out with this huge new release where they've upgraded their own purpose built Dagor engine. It's got a bit of everything. There's major new effects, major new tanks, a complete rework of the naval forces. But for Linux gamers especially, this was a very important update because the Linux version and the Mac version, in fact, originally used OpenGL, and it was missing quite a lot of effects. It didn't perform exactly amazing. I mean, it was playable, but it wasn't great. And they upgraded to Vulcan. But they'd had a Vulcan beta available which you could sort of opt into specially for years and they just seemed to leave it to just get get a bit dusty. But then they just dropped OpenGL and just put Vulcan as the default with this version. And when they actually released this big update, it was initially quite messy. So in in my case and plenty other people, you would get a complete black screen if the launcher or the game itself was in focus, so you could only see it if it was minimised, if that makes any sense. (laughs) (laughs) It was, yeah, it was quite funny when you look back at it in hindsight about just how bad it was. But most of this was on the X11 display server. There was people playing it perfectly on Wayland, so it's like, oh, so they probably just tested it on something like Fedora,
1: perhaps, then. But it's yeah. It's I, I, was, weird. I was personally i I was personally playing it just fine on 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 sway.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it shows they actually they they clearly tested it on something working, but they within a couple of days it was fixed up and the experience now is fantastic. Actually, I'm absolutely loving it. It looks good. It's got lots of new effects
1: now. It mm. doesn't crash at all on me at all now, and it's yeah, so fun. It is, it is quite a lot of fun. And I was actually quite amazed too by how well the Vulcan version now behaves. Like I've been playing it mostly on OpenGL because I never bothered to switch to the Vulcan version. So when the Vulcan update landed, I had, I had been playing this game on my RX 580 on like medium settings and it was like sort of 40, 50 ish FPS um now i'm able to just push it kind of to the max settings and i can still get it like VSync locked lock to like 75 fps if i want to and uh, it looks it it looks really good um it plays really nice and uh we've we've been having a lot of fun playing this game uh you and i we've been uh we've been playing the british tanks a little bit of the french tanks because i insisted um and um you definitely have, like, uh, you're starting to develop an addiction to this thing, so we're going to have to keep an eye on uh, your spending uh, in case you start actually pu- putting money into this thing. Yeah. I... <laughs> well, the thing is, but
0: it's a good game. I like it. And I th- I've put, like, 40
1: hours into War Thunder now, okay? Mm-hmm. I haven't
0: paid a penny.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's it's relatively enjoyable um, up to like uh, a, a pretty high number of hours. I haven't put any money into this game either. I do it mainly on principle, but uh, I might have six hundred and eighty-three hours <laughs> in the game. What? Um, but but I mean, partially because of that, the number of hours that I've put into the game, I'm a little bit more jaded than you are about it. But um, it's it's definitely a, a fun game. But because it's a it's a free to play MMO thing, it does have some some, in my opinion, nasty monetization functionality, and uh, I I just kind of don't find you know I, I don't I don't find it uh, something that I want to like support monetarily. So I just kind of drive around tanks for free
0: yeah okay because in war thunder you can do there's a lot of customization you can do with your vehicles with like paints and stickers and so on but there is the other side of it where you can buy exclusive vehicles basically with premium currency can't you
1: yeah you can buy like premium vehicles that often have something kind of special to them that makes them behave either differently or in some cases, was just better than uh, other vehicles had kind of the, the the similar tier. You can also put in money to just speed up your uh, your like uh, research, so you can research new tanks and new planes faster. You can That's... research components for them faster, things like that.
0: But the thing is, though, when you're getting these new tanks and speeding up your research and so on in War Thunder, is it actually pay to win though? Cause think about it for a second that when you're going through the research tiers in War Thunder, they have, they, each vehicle has a rating on it, doesn't it? So like 1.2 or 2.0 and so on. Mm-hmm. And you get an average, averaged out rating of when you match make. So even if you are paying to speed up your progression through that, you're not going to be playing against players who have a 1.0 tank with a 5.0, are you?
1: Well, I mean, you're right in the sense that uh, there isn't necessarily a a pay-to-win scenario. There are some cases where it's kind of like on the line with some of the premium vehicles. Um, But in my opinion, the fact that particularly when you unlock a new vehicle, what you end up unlocking is you unlock a vehicle without any of the extra components research, which means that you are potentially downgrading from a previous vehicle before you unlock all of the different ammo types for that tank, before you unlock the, the repair components and the fire prevention equipment and things like that. It can be very rough for some vehicles to you know get started unless you pay up front to research some of the key components so that you can get started on that vehicle properly. And that, in my opinion, puts players that want to pay and players that don't want to pay on an unequal footing, yeah, that's that's something that I personally don't really find appealing.
0: You know what I don't find appealing? Do so. Sony.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So I follow a lot of console news and the business practices of the various console makers in addition to Linux and Windows and MacOS and so on. Part of the reason that I'm really annoyed about Sony is because of their attitude towards cross-platform and cross-progression and things like that. Because historically, they've been really uptight about it and they've been very against it. They've started over the last year or two opening up quite a bit more. But annoyingly, my War Thunder account was originally made on a PlayStation 4 when it first came out, back when I was really into console stuff. And I, I can't move it from that.
1: That was indeed a a rather annoying thing to find out.
0: Because what really annoys me is that all of the progression, every single thing to do with it is on the War Thunder service. It's nothing to do with Sony, but purely because I originally registered through the PlayStation account, even though it was linked then through Steam and through an actual Gashen account where I have a normal email attached to it, they still could not detach it from Sony because of Sony's policies. This is what they told me that they, they cannot do it it's against Sony's policies which really annoyed me because even if I wanted to spend money I can't <laughs> unless I go through the PlayStation network to do it and then I give Sony a cut for no reason. Yeah. And my my PlayStation 4 is on its last legs as well. It's barely used for anything. I even it got to the point where I had to physically take out the eject disc button because it was just activating whenever it wanted. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'd like to point out this is my fourth PlayStation 4 unit. I've been through four of them that they've what? either Yeah, they've either refurbished or given me a brand new one. This is Sony's build quality.
1: Oh wow that's 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 way worse than my my Xbox 360s. I mean I went through two units of Xbox 360 elites uh one of them started red ringing and then that was the end of that and then i had to get a new one my PlayStation... Four? playstation 4s
0: yeah my playstation issue is not even an uncommon issue it's a very common problem with their disk drive it got to a point i can remember this actually i was playing alien isolation one day this is going back probably about when it first came out, I think, when Alien Isolation first came out, I had it gifted to me on the PlayStation. And I remember I was sat there playing it, and it's a really scary game. Aliens has always absolutely terrified me. And then I went to bed later, and about two o'clock in the morning, the PlayStation just spat the disc out. And oh, my <laughs> God, I don't think I've ever been so terrified in my life
1: a <laughs> haunted PS4 that just spits discs out. But it's uh, really,
0: really common issue. You, if you Google it, it is everywhere. And every single one of mine, through refurbishments or just brand new ones that they've done for me, they've all done it. Every single one of them. So this one, I just got fed up. I just took the eject disc button out, and it solved it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, now
0: it's just as usual collecting dust because I very much prefer to do everything on my Linux box or through Stadia in the cloud, where I can do it on my Linux box and then take it, you know, downstairs, perhaps. Mm. So yeah, Sony, you suck. And I've ended up making a new War Thunder account directly through Gagin just to be detached from Sony. Mm. Fuck you, Sony.
1: The, the platform-specific, you know, restrictions of Sony, they're haunting you even when you're on Linux. That's kind of awful.
0: So... Onto our next subject for this podcast. It's quite an exciting one, actually, quite a big one. Well, depending on your point of view for gaming anyway. But Vulcan mm. ray tracing, it is officially here. It's out. It's out.
1: How do you feel about that, Vulcan ray tracing? Well, I mean, it's it's good that we finally have a standard for it that allows it to be implemented across platforms. Um I'm personally because I still have my RX580, so no no ray tracing hardware there. I've kind of been looking at ray tracing like, eh, it looks kinda cool, but I don't really have any way to use it, so I don't really care. I feel like it's a little bit overhyped and I think a lot of the effects of ray tracing can kind of be mimicked with non-ray tracing techniques for a lot less kind of like hardware power required. But um, it's 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 a good thing that we have the, the 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 standard for it so that you know future hardware that I, I might buy that has ray tracing hardware might be able to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah. Because previously to this, people actually a lot of people got confused on this thinking that Linux didn't have ray tracing, but it did, because Nvidia have pretty much always had Vulcan Ray Tracing in their drivers for I believe since 2018 they had their own special Vulcan extensions for it and a couple titles did already use that but now it's Crossbender; it's official in the Vulcan spec so AMD have already picked it up and Intel will be picking it up next year when they release their dedicated HPE graphics cards,
1: mm.
0: which should yeah, be really be... interesting
1: yeah it's going to be interesting to see like obviously the 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 newest hardware that AMD has available has ray tracing capabilities but they are pretty lackluster um so it's going to be interesting what uh, what Intel can pull up like pull off with their next you know DGPU thing that has this capability these first gen ray tracing implementations are probably going to be pretty bad in general so, it might take them a while to actually get them to perform properly. At least that's what it looks like from the way AMD hardware has been behaving thus far.
0: Well, it was the but, same with NVIDIA, though, wasn't it? The first generation of yeah. NVIDIA that did ray chasing made it work. It was exciting tech. It was really cool to see it in action, but the performance drop wasn't great, wasn't really all that worth it. Whereas now with their 30 series, the performance but ray tracing is much better. Now, you've got the same with AMD. They are doing their first ray tracing in the Radeon. It's 6,000 series, isn't it, with AMD? Yeah,
1: 6,000. Yeah. yeah, so
0: this is their first attempt at doing it. It's Again, it's like NVIDIA's first attempt. It's not great, but the next set of cards probably will be. But then you've got Intel coming into the fold as well. Now, Intel, we're talking up about how their new XE... Graphics architecture is highly scalable, so they're going to be sitting back and watching all the ray tracing stuff, and perhaps they might scale it up that little bit more for the actual consumer cards. We don't know, but either way, next year you're going to have three desktop vendor GPUs that can all support ray tracing.
1: Mm. We'll see how that turns out, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not really expecting Intel to pull up, pull up like any, any. Uh particularly amazing products in that space just yet. I, I've, I've been wrong before, so it's entirely possible that they might have something, but from what I've seen so far, it doesn't look like it's going to be anything too special. So it's probably going to only compete in like the lower brackets of the GPU market. Which is perfectly fair, and that's
0: still quite a big market.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is.
0: And it's just going to be good to have a third desktop graphics vendor because... There's just been two of them for too long, and it's not giving enough competition.
1: It's definitely not, and uh, like particularly when it comes to ray tracing, one of the problems that I have with it right now is that obviously NVIDIA is leading the ray tracing kind of competition here, which means that they're kind of you know a lot like a lot of the stuff that is being developed with ray tracing in mind is targeting NVIDIA hardware, and because AMD hardware is lagging behind because they were you know, second to reach that that kind of capability. It's not necessarily like that it disproportionately looks worse on AMD because that sounds like biased because I am biased. Um, but it definitely means that uh, AMD is in a kind of an underdog situation with when it comes to that kind of stuff. And Intel will also be.
0: There's a re- another reason, though, why we need another vendor, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> because NVIDIA recently were how do i put this dicks dicks yeah <laughs> and i say this as an nvidia user i've been an nvidia user and a fan of nvidia for absolutely years now they're not perfect of course neither are amd neither are intel but nvidia really fucked up recently mm. so there's a, a reviewer out there called hardware unboxed and from what i've seen of them they're actually really quite good
1: yeah they they basically fr- from what i've follow them a little bit they are they basically have like a youtube channel where they they cover like GPUs, cpus all that kind of stuff uh they do a bunch of benchmarking a bunch of like big benchmarks with a lot of games covered it's it's very windows centric but uh it seems like it is a uh, it has been like a reasonably decent channel to follow if you're into like keeping up with all of this New hardware that is coming from AMD, NVIDIA, Intel, etc. But basically,
0: hardware unboxed. They're not exactly a small channel either. They have, they're have they getting close to, I think, 700,000 subscribers. Well, they were. I think they've gained loads since this happened, which is kind of hilarious, really. Mm-hmm. They didn't get a GeForce Founders Edition sample. I believe it was for a 3060. They quite yeah. tried querying what was going on and eventually they got an email from like the head of Nvidia's PR basically. So this is not somebody low down. This is somebody who should know their shit when it comes to press releases and dealing with marketing and dealing with YouTubers. They explained why they basically cut them off.
1: Yeah, basically what they, what, what ended up happening is they kind of, the, the email that they received said that Hardware Unbox kind of review perspective didn't kind of like line up with NVIDIA's technology roadmap. I think the main complaints were that Hardware uh, Unbox didn't cover ray tracing and the, the, the AI assisted like upscaling algorithm DLSS extensively enough, at least according to NVIDIA's liking. Uh, they complained that basically the focus was too much on rasterization instead of ray tracing, and then there were a bunch of really stupid comments about how hardware unbox has like all kind of lost perspective, and like their 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 kind of review perspective doesn't line up with that of the gaming community or whatever else, whatever whatever they they happen to say in that email. I don't have it like up. According to NVIDIA's like PR people, hardware unbox didn't cover NVIDIA-centric technology extensively enough. Uh, probably This this probably means that they did some uh, some benchmarks where AMD hardware looked good, where they turned off ray tracing or something along those lines. Uh, and NVIDIA didn't like that, and they cut the hardware unbox off from their Founder's Edition review samples. Oh, I found the quote for it. It's So
0: NVIDIA said to them, it is very clear from your community commentary that you do not see things the same way that we, gamers, and the rest of the industry do.
1: Mm. What yeah, the hell? Yeah, that, that's just like completely stupid. Like you should never speak with any kind of a press with those kinds of words.
0: It got even worse though. They said that they'll revisit it Should your editorial direction change?
1: Yeah, so that's basically just, you know, kind of trying to, I don't know, kind of like trying to force them to change what they say about GPUs to be uh, like in line with what NVIDIA wants them to say or else.
0: Yeah, that is it. It's basically it's a threat. It's you do it our way or you do not get hardware. And that is awful. Yeah, Nvidia are absolutely within their right to not give hardware to anybody, mm-hmm. but to yeah. say that to somebody to follow exactly how we do it or don't get it—that is just that is to put that in an email from a PR when you are head is so amateur and childish.
1: Yeah, this is like—I mean, obviously, like you said, all of these hardware, you know, manufacturers have their you know right to send hardware to whoever they consider, you know, most valuable for their purposes, but you know, usually you'd probably want to, you know, even if you think that this outlet is not covering things the way you want, you probably want to say that say something along the lines of, "Hey, sorry, we've evaluated that um your covering is not say something along the lines, like say something vague, you know, say that we have uh, we have evaluated our review partners and you didn't make the cut this time we'll we'll evaluate it later or something along those lines basically lie um because this there was just no way this was going to go down well like i don't see how this could have possibly ended well for for nvidia's pr team
0: yeah and it didn't obviously you had so many massive youtubers like uh linus tech tips basically Shitting on the Nvidia over it, and yeah, they backpedaled, and they then emailed Hardware Unbox again and basically said sorry. And yeah, yeah.
1: Now it seems like things are kind of back to normal, and Hardware Unbox will presumably get their Founders Edition review samples in the future. But uh, yeah, this is obviously after there was a lot of like pushback on this from basically every YouTube. Uh, hardware review kind of channel so you had your linus tech tips your gamers nexus whatever else these uh outlets wh- whatever other outlets there are and basically they kind of just took a uniform stance of like we're not gonna deal with this nvidia we're, we're gonna we're not gonna be fine with this change your you know ch- change this this policy or else uh, and it seems to have worked yeah. But definitely NVIDIA being dicks. And yeah. uh, it's not the first time NVIDIA are being dicks. It's probably not going to be the last time they're going to be dicks. Uh, but I guess in in this particular battle, it was won by the reviewers and the the independent media rather than NVIDIA.
0: So in the end, it was a happy ending.
1: Yeah, at least for now.
0: Right. I'm going to for the next topic basically hand the mic over to you cuz I don't understand any of it okay
1: yeah that's that's entirely fair <laughs> um so so this is um, a thing that you linked to me on telegram you like to post stupid comments like that you have seen in the wild to me and then i uh, like to laugh at them with you in this and... case though
0: i'd like to point out first of all i didn't think it was a stupid comment i found it interesting and because I don't really understand any of it, I just wanted to have a chat and get some, some more
1: opinions on this bit. Well, I mean, I, I personally, have, I have very strong views on this, so I consider it a stupid comment, but yeah. So um, apparently a, a CodeWeavers developer uh, decided to post a, like on Hacker News, uh, and I have the, the quote here, Sorry the game doesn't work, we don't support your distro, is a really crummy thing to have to say to your customers. Fact is Linux doesn't have a stable ABI that you can build your game against. No, the Steam runtime doesn't solve this problem. The only stable ABI that is supported on Linux is Win32 via Wine. So an interesting thing that you brought up um, and you mentioned that you didn't really understand this and I figured this would be a... uh, a good chance to kind of uh, put up a bit of a lecture here, explaining what all of this actually means. Okay, uh, so let's slow down a my bit. Take. Yep. What, what's an ABI? Why does it matter? So software usually consists of a couple of modules. Um, at, at the very least, there's usually two. There is the application itself, and then there is some kind of a platform-specific interface that it talks to and abi stands for application binary interface so you may have heard of apis apis are where you code according to a certain kind of like uh uh, there's a way you something defines an api which defines what kind of methods there are to interact with some block and then you use those methods to interact with it abi is kind of the same thing but we're kind of not speaking in like programming language terms anymore. We're talking more like on the hardware binary level. So the way an ABI works is if you want two modules to talk with each other, they often define symbols and these symbols can then allow one of these, uh, like for example, the application to find the piece of code in the other module that it can then call. And thus the two modules can exchange information and. You know, usually when that other module is like the operating system, for example, that means the application interacts with the ABI of the operating system to take input from the keyboard, to draw on the screen, do all of the you know the important stuff that you know makes applications actually useful.
0: Right. Um. So, does Linux have a stable
1: ABI or not? Linux has a stable ABI. Uh, the kernel provides. The most fundamental ABI of the Linux platform, and there is a very strict rule in the kernel, like in the kernel community, which is to not break user space, which means do not do not change the interface such that applications break. But it gets a little bit more complex than that, um, because obviously games and other software doesn't just talk to the kernel. There is a lot of talking to the kernel, but you can't really accomplish everything by just talking to the kernel. So you have libraries, which you need to talk to. You have things like Cairo, you have GTK, you have SDL, all of these things that you have to talk to from your application for it to, you know, do things like play sounds and, you know, take input and draw pretty pictures on the, on the, on like windows and things like that.
0: so and we've we've got an example here of this in action.
1: Yes, we do have an example of this in action, and I'm gonna go back to that example in a bit after I kind of explain the 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 logic of the the quote that we heard. Right. So the, the 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 quote says that there is no stable ABI that games can use on Linux, which is sort of true in the sense that a game will need to interact with a lot of different components. Uh, and there isn't really a Win32 on Linux. There is no, like Win32 does a lot of things. Win32 oh. allows you to create windows. It allows you to uh take inputs. It allows you to do a, a, a number of things that there isn't really an equivalent to on Linux. If you wanted to do all of these things, you'd probably want to talk to something like SDL2. And then SDL2 itself needs to talk with, potentially pulls Audio, it needs to talk with Alsa for you know, audio purposes, it might need to talk to X11 for windowing or Wayland, um, it might need to talk to different uh, libraries that deal with input devices, uh, a lot of different kind of stuff like that. And in that sense, because all of these are different components, there is no like unified In Windows, all of this is kind of a unified thing right, okay. that the Windows platform provides. On Linux, it is provided by a number of libraries that are distinct, and that means that these individual libraries can change. And this right. is where the practical example comes into play. So you spotted and reported an issue recently where a, um, yeah. it was with Apical and the Paradox launcher, right?
0: Yeah, so I tried to run the Linux build, so the Linux natively built application, Apico. It's a game on Steam about caring for bees. It's really cool. Um, and it didn't work, and I got really confused, and so I reported it. Uh, later, I then tried to play some Paradox games, and none of them would work. So it was Stellaris, Crusader Kings 3... Prison Architect, and I think some others as well, that anything that had the Paradox Interactive launcher, it just stopped working. And I, I'd like to yeah. point out, though, that I am on Arch Linux, and I have a habit of just constantly updating all the time. This doesn't happen to other people, because Arch Linux is always at the forefront of what is going on on Linux. It's, you know, constantly rolling into updates. So I'm ended up coming across a bug in LibCairo, which is where it was basically bumping heads with the Steam runtime where it was not... So one version was overwriting the other where it should have been. It should have been the other way around, as I understand it in simple terms. So it was picking the wrong thing was being picked because of a change, an update in LibCairo through their build system. So that was a bug in their build system, basically. And they fixed it in less than 24 hours of me reporting it because open source is just fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, um, but this kind of is also like an example of a case where the ABI kind of breaks. Uh, As I understood it, there was something about Cairo. uh, These were the, the operating system versions of the Cairo library that had some kind of a symbol versioning issue or something along those lines. And basically what it ended up, doing is some part of the game was using a library from the Steam runtime, which was trying to interact with the system version of Cairo, but it was trying to call a symbol that was not present anymore in the operating system version of Cairo. The interesting thing is that all of these games have worked if you didn't run them without the Steam runtime. So it, it was a compatibility issue between LibCairo and the Steam runtime, but not a compatibility issue between the game and your system libraries, which kind of goes to show like there are issues with like a stable ABI in the sense that one, depending on the definition you use, does not exist. But there's also a lot of people way smarter than us that say that this is generally not a, not a problem. We have Ryan Gordon, uh, we have Ethan Lee. Both of these people have basically said that this isn't generally a problem they have even gone as far as to say like distro fragmentation isn't really a thing um and some people like the the code weavers developer i'm a little bit like suspicious of the you know anything that code weavers people say because i mean they have an agenda agenda that they want to push they have a product that they sell yeah obviously they would say win32 is like the stable abi on linux and some things like that it's basically marketing
0: yeah because their but, their whole business revolves around getting win32 via wine working on linux macos and now chrome os as well so you can understand what they're saying but you also have to take that step back look at what they're saying and say well well are they right yes in a way they are mm-hmm. where where can we fix that where can you point developers to and so on so you should always take things as much as you can on both sides of it.
1: Yeah, and and like to some degree, this is a real problem. Uh, there are examples of games that are very difficult to run these days on Linux because they were you know released so long ago. But I would also like to point out that this isn't really a problem that Windows has solved either. Because on even the Windows side of things, games don't just talk to Win32. They talk to other libraries as well. But yeah. on Windows, it is a very acceptable and very popular practice to package all of your libraries with your game or other application that you ship, which means that they like, unlike on Linux, where we have, you know, centralized package managers that handle a lot of system libraries and things like that. So the, the, in the Windows world, they can often ignore many of these problems by simply, you know, having multiple versions of the same libraries and they are just kind of installation or like application installation specific. We're also doing that now on Linux with things like Flatpak, Snap, AppImage, things like that. But also eventually Windows will also break ABI. This is practically inevitable. I don't think that there is going to be a stable ABI that is going to be stable through the rest of eternity. So eventually, even Windows, Windows has a lot of because it's a it's a very unified platform. It, they have a lot of ways to ensure that the a, the ABI stay you know compatible, and they have a lot of incentive to keep them that way. They might have less of an incentive on the Linux world where libraries are kind of developed by whoever happens to be developing them, and they might have different ideas about ABI compatibility and things like that.
0: But then that so is so why far, we have projects like SDL and so on that enable developers to target them
1: yeah uh sdl does like a lot of things to kind of bridge the gap between uh applications and the actual dependencies that they rely on but um, obviously that still only goes so far i would like to point out that this is much less of an issue that pe- some people make it out to be. I've played some games that have like relatively old Linux ports, and they've worked just fine, generally speaking. And sometimes when they don't work, a lot of the times you can just fix them by copying a, a shared object file from one directory to another and just pointing the game to that, and then things start working again. But uh, it's I would argue that this isn't a problem that Windows has solved either, I subscribe to the theory that there is only one solution to this problem, and that is to make your software, you know, open source. Because that way, there is no need for a stable ABI, because the ABI can change. The, and if if a, if the ABI changes, the software can be recompiled to use the new ABI, and then everything works. Basically, as long as somebody cares to update the code and recompile it every once in a while. Fair but enough.
0: so, open source is the way forward, is what we're going with, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Okay, so Sabzai, what have you been playing lately? Apart I from have... War Thunder, we we've both been playing War Thunder, but apart from that,
1: yeah, I I I was kind of avoiding War Thunder here in the what what we okay. have been playing thing because we yeah obviously we've been playing War Thunder. Um, I started playing Underhero on my live streams recently, um, and that's been going pretty well. So. Basically, it is uh, a kind of RPG thing that implements. Uh, it, I, I get a lot of like Undertale vibes from it. It has basically a lot of characters that are kind of wacky. It has its own kind of uh, a humor to things that kind of reminds me of Undertale a lot. Which you know, I, I was a massive Undertale fan, so that helps. It has an interesting combat system, and I've been enjoying it. Uh, I had one issue with it, which was that it. It has some platforming uh, that I was having a lot of trouble with until I noticed that if I kept my frame rate at 60 FPS instead of 75, suddenly the game worked. So it has some kind of a frame rate dependency issue. But once I got that fixed, yeah, I've been I've been having a lot of fun with that, and I would I would really recommend uh, people look into that, particularly if they enjoyed. Something like Undertale. It's not really Undertale. The com- the the gameplay systems are pretty much completely different from Undertale. But it has like in terms of its story, its characters, and uh, the the kind of like makes fun of or it kind of like jokes about some of like some RPG game kind of tropes and turns them kind of upside down. And I really like that. So
0: that's Under Hero.
1: Yeah, Under Hero. Under hero. Sounds pretty
0: good. Well, I've been playing, it's called Talomere 2, Curse of the Kittens. Now, if you take it from the name alone, Talomere 2, Curse of the Kittens, it doesn't sound like the biggest game in the world. It sounds a bit weird, but it's actually genuinely amazing. The combat in it is just so satisfying, and it's got this incredibly weird setting. So you seem to be some sort of cat. And you're going through a dungeon to rescue and find a bunch of other cats that have been sent away. And it's some sort of ritual that you have to go through. But it's just, it's like a action platformer roguelite with loads of random generation. You can play it in local co-op, single player, online co-op. There's going to be online PvP eventually and so on. But it is just utterly ridiculous. Because... You can go up to somebody with a grenade in your hand. You can just keep on tapping your key and it will just throw grenades everywhere. The amount of time I blind myself up when I'm doing that is pretty amazing. (laughs) But honestly, this might be my own personal contender for early access game of the year. So it's not a finished game. It's early access. It's a solo developer, Chris McFarland. And if you'd like crazy, over-the-top action platforming that is different every single time you play with it, and it's got lots of particle effects and lots of different crazy things going on. Ptolemia 2 is genuinely good. Go try it out. Mm, Yeah, that sounds quite interesting indeed. So, it is coming up to the end of 2020. This is our last podcast
1: of the year. Yeah, I mean, 2020 has been quite something, hasn't it?
0: It has been... An absolute whirlwind of a year. It's been up and down and all over the place, but thankfully it is almost over. There is something of a light at the end of the tunnel for COVID-19 because there's multiple vaccines. There's one being rolled out in the UK right now, Mm. which is kind of amazing, really, when you think about it, because lots of people from over the world came together to work on these things, so... Yeah, I would like to thank everybody that has been working on those vaccines because it is incredibly important work. Indeed, and
1: hopefully soon enough in 2021, we will start returning back to normalcy. I mean, it's going to be, I I wonder if I know how to behave with other people. (laughs) Yeah. like, Like, I've personally, like, I can't complain about 2020. I've actually, personally, like, this year has been pretty okay for me. Uh, I'm a bit of an introvert anyway so I don't I haven't really felt a need to go out with other people too much so I've been kind of happy to just stay indoors and avoid the crowds and just enjoy life and I've been really convenienced by the fact that um, you know school's remote which means that I don't have to travel by train to the university and you know take part in actual lectures I've been able to just kind of sit home and listen to the lectures remotely and that that has been pretty good but i mean uh, you know variety is good so i do hope that 2021 is going to be a, a good year we get back to normalcy and we can try to uh figure out if we can still remember how to um how to do the the handshaky thing i think that was the 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 commonly agreed greeting but before in the before times yeah, it's of like our ancestors. It's
0: like you're going to walk up to somebody in the street and you're not going to know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> and you're just going to look at each other like, "Wait, you don't have a mask on? What's going on? Wait, what?" It, <laughs> next year is going to be very weird when we get to sort of the middle point of the year, and maybe things are actually turning around by that point. Yeah. Uh, anyway, for everybody listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for reading gaming on Linux, and wish you all the best for the new year. Indeed. Thanks for the chat again, Samsai. Yeah, no problem. It was a very, very fun chat. This is the Co-op News Punch. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.